give me, uh, when you think of Advent or Christmas, what are those things that immediately pop into your head? Chocolate calendars. Yeah, you kind of, I think about Trader Joe's and you pop it open. Yeah, Isaac loves those. One for each day. Yeah, it's a good diet control kind of thing. Good. What else? What was it? Trees. Absolutely. Christmas trees. By the way, is yours up, Donna? Oh, excellent. Good, good. Anybody else? What else when we think about Christmas? All right. I'm just going to nod and smile with that one. What else? Lights. Wow, that was good. Christmas lights. Anything else? Cookies. Nativity scenes. Nobody has said shopping. Presents. You know, food. Yeah, gluttony. Good. What else? Well, this morning we are going to be uh, going through a a four-week season of anticipation culminating on Christmas Eve of, look, I know it's a mini-series. We are going to be looking at... um, going through a series called He Came. And then there's going to be a little tagline on the end, end of each one. And this morning we're going to look at He Came to Set the Captives Free. And in, in Advent, Advent, like Brian and Aaron said, is this, this season of anticipation of what He has promised to do and finding its final culmination in His second coming, our, our time in eternity. But yet here today, our anticipation of His coming and joining with us. So I want you to Luke chapter 4, 16 to 30. Here it is. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and they began to and he began to say to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth and they said is this not joseph's son and he said to them doubtless you will quote to me this proverb physician heal yourself what have we heard from you what we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable, is acceptable in his hometown. But I tell you the truth, in truth I tell you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. 
when they heard these things in all the synagogues, in all the synagogue, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove them out of town and brought them to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, uh, Jesus is giving one of his, his sermons. And Jesus always has a way of, um, he is not your really, hey, I'm going to start off with a joke, get you all warmed up and make you feel all warm and fuzzy. That, that's not Jesus' M.O. Jesus' M.O. is more of the, let me tell you what the truth is. The truth is, this is who I am. And the truth of who I am is not going to necessarily make you the most happy person in the world. In fact, it's going to convict you at the core of your being. And Jesus, he was asked to read the scripture. He, 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 he was faithful in going to the synagogue and he was asked to be a guest preacher that, that morning. And he was, he was given Isaiah 61 to read. And as he read it, the people, there was something as he was reading The Spirit of the Lord is on me to do these things. And their heart was just welling up because they knew that behind this message was the promise of the Messiah. He was going to come and liberate them. And they've been anticipating this for years and years and years because they've been under the oppression of these foreign nations who have just abused and put, put them into slavery. And their hope was that the Messiah would come, a political leader, to set them free. And they would be free people. And so they're hearing these words, and they're all caught up in this, going, yes, amen, this is it. And there's all this reference. If, if you look at the end, in verse 19, he says, it starts off in 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And verse 19 is the conclusion to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God's Spirit is upon me to usher in a new season of hope. And it's all referring back to Leviticus 25. Where every 50 years, all of Israel would celebrate what's called the year of Jubilee. If you were a slave you would be set free. If you, if you had a huge amount of debt, any kind of debt, what would happen? Your debt was canceled. And that year, the fields, the fields would not be tilled or there would not be any work done. They would even rest. The animals would rest for a whole year. It was a year of just enjoying God's favor. It was a year of celebration. And Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord, He's anointed me. He's made me the Messiah to announce the year of God's favor. And these people are going, score! But wait a second. That means He is saying He's the Messiah. Is this heresy? They get all excited, and all of a sudden they go, huh. And then, if they were really good students of Scripture, they would know that Jesus did not quote the full verse. 
if Jesus would have gone just a little bit further, it would have completed by saying, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. But Jesus doesn't talk about the vengeance of God. Jesus came to proclaim God's favor. To bring hope to the hopeless. And by omitting that last line, Jesus got their attention. I'm not sure that that would have, in a mega mega church synagogue, would have really resonated well. Because all of a sudden they were just, what did he just say? And he said, and today, today the scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing this. Jesus was saying two things. First, the hope and comfort of Israel promised long ago before Isaiah finally found its expression and its fulfillment in Jesus and his message. And secondly, while the day of the vengeance of our God would come in time, it was not being fulfilled on that day. It was being fulfilled. What was being fulfilled was a year of God's favor. Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah who could bring the kingdom of God, which had been promised for so long. But his first advent, his first coming, was not one of judgment. Jesus went on to talk about his ministry, of what he was what he had come to do. And you can see kind of four categories of people if you look in here in 18 through 19. The first one, Jesus said that he was anointed to preach the good news to the poor. This word poor can cover a whole multitude, a whole gamut of things. Everything from those who are in absolute financial poverty to those who are poor in their morality or their their spiritual nature and we can even we've we've seen that as uh this past summer we we looked at the beatitudes blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of god because here's the deal the people who are financially rich and and i'm i'm going to put us all in that because if we look at the world scale of finances we are extremely wealthy some of you who are going you have no clue paul i only make this amount you are wealthy compared to those who make absolutely nothing the rich are less likely to be aware of their spiritual poverty And I think that's true of American culture, of our culture, of us. That we we really are totally unaware of our spiritual poverty. Because why? Because our our wealth, what we have, our finances, even though it might be meager, some of us, we rest in that. We're okay. We're getting by. I can live on this. And we don't see our deep, deep, deep need for a Savior. And often the poor are especially open 
to receiving Jesus' teaching as good news because they realize they are in desperate spiritual straits. Blessed are the, the poor. And Jesus has come to share the good news to the poor. But then he goes on, number two, to the prisoners. Prisoners has this, also has this kind of spiritual application because the word tec- technically means prisoners of war. No, there were probably no prisoners of war attached to this small little congregation in Nazareth. But the word broadly includes many different forms of bondage, of being tied down like a prisoner of war. There's the bondage to money that we see in Luke chapter 19 where Jesus is telling the st- or is talking to Zacchaeus who was a tax collector and, and how Zacchaeus was set free from the bondage of money and needing to have. There's the bondage to Satan where there's the demonized man in the Gadarenes. There's the bondage to guilt. There's the bondage to sensuality. There's the bondage to hatred. We are all somehow kind of bound. We're prisoners to our own things, our own junk, aren't we? If I sit down with you long enough, you sit down with me, and we start really sharing our life stories, there is a sense of bondage, of being prisoners to our history, our past, our present. And Jesus has, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to share the good news that you as prisoners are set free. Set free. To all in the prison house of sin, the truth, I love Charles Wesley's song, O Four Thousand Tongues to Sing. And there's this one particular verse, do a search on the web sometime and read all the verses. There's like 12 verses that he, he wrote. But there's one verse. It starts off, do you have it up there? For I'll find it. The, um, sorry. Here, here's the first one. Oh, 4,000 tongues. This was just so you know. He wrote this on his one-year anniversary of coming to Christ. Oh, 4,000 tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. And then, I love this one. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. You are free. You are no longer a prisoner to your sin because Jesus came, died for you, and his blood has set you free. You are no longer under the bondage of sin. You are set free. Then he talks about the blind. The next element is this recovery of sight for the blind. And it is a huge, huge spiritual promise. Paul Paul heard this in Acts 26 where he was told by Jesus, I am sending you to 
open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is a huge promise. Paul was being sent as a missionary to open the eyes of people so that they can now see Walking around, you know, we heard this in Isaiah earlier. These people are walking around in darkness and they can't see the reality of Jesus Christ, the hope for the world. And Jesus says, I am sending you, all of you, no matter who you are, where you work, what degree you have, no matter where you are, what station in life you are at, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am sending you to open up people's eyes as you share the gospel i their spiritual eyes will open up to the beauty the glory of jesus christ and lastly he came he came to the oppressed the the root idea of oppressed is those who are broken in pieces, who are shattered, who are crushed. And Jesus came to those who are totally squashed by life circumstances. Does anybody feel that this morning? I'm thinking about Jim and Janae's, uh, Eddie's babysitter, Kathy, squashed by life circumstances. Broken into pieces. It's not just for those people out there. It's for us here too. The stuff of your life where you are just oppressed and you're broken. Jesus comes for those people, for us, who can see that there is just absolutely no way out. Who find themselves living under this oppression and he gives them freedom. Freedom. Liberty. Malcolm Muggeridge wrote, after coming to Christ in his later years, he wrote this. All other freedoms, once won, soon turn into new servitude. Christ is the only liberator whose liberation lasts forever. It's easy even for us as as Americans to get so caught up in our liberty and our freedom. You know what? You can even see that, that our liberties are not really true liberties. But the liberty that we have in Christ is forever. And it is hopeful and it brings joy. Democracy is... It's one, but soon it becomes a new kind of servitude. We've got to serve this. We've got to pay our taxes. We've got to do this. We've got to do these. We got to... But in Christ, once our liberty is one with Him, it is forever free, and we are free in Him. And can you imagine this? If you hear this story and how Jesus says this is the message and how this congregation can hear these things, And immediately, where does their heart go? Skepticism. Right? They immediately go, isn't this Joseph's kid? I ran, I played kickball with him. 
I did a little matzah with him. You know, we broke bread. I know, oh, I know about you. He's just a regular kid. Who's he to say these things? And Jesus immediately knew what was going on in his hearers. He knew that they, they were going skeptical. Maybe there was the shift, but him being God also goes, I know what he's thinking. They are looking for a sign. They want a sign that what I'm saying is true. Because what did they do? They said, well, we heard about what you did over in Capernaum. Could you do that same thing to prove that you're really, what you say is really true? And Jesus is going, oh, no. You missed it. You guys are, you think that you're spiritual and you have missed the whole thing. And then he goes on and just nails them. Jesus went right to the heart of the matter, which was their spiritual self-sufficiency and their pride. He went right at their heart with a message that does not build big buildings, that does not bring in great big offerings. In fact, if you look at the end, verse 29 and 30, they were filled with rage and did what? They pushed him on the Sabbath day. They pushed him out of the synagogue and they wanted to push him over a hill and kill him. Not great job security for a pastor. So the message he had got right to their heart. And he used two examples. First was Elijah and this widow. And he said, Jesus said, listen, there there were a lot of widows in, in Elijah's time. There were tons of them because there was a huge famine going on. And who did Elijah go to? Elijah went to this widow in Zarephath, in Sidon. He went to an outsider. And what did he do? He went to this widow and just said, listen, the Lord has sent me to you. And I know that you are in absolute poverty. In fact, in your bowl today, you have your last little bit of oil and your last bit of flour. I promise you this, make me a meal today and you will never be without. Our culture today goes, you are crazy. You want me to make you a meal with my last stuff and then after that there'll be stuff forever? Elijah, you're smoking something because that just does not... That is just not logical. That does not make sense. But what did she do? In faith, she made him a meal. In faith, she she responded. She responded. And it's amazing. Obedience. This starving woman obeyed Elijah's strange words. And for as long as the famine endured, she had flour and oil. This woman realized her absolute poverty and fatal lack of resources. And her blessing was that she was desperately poor and she knew it. And she responded. 
the application to this congregation in Nazareth was, was obvious. If they wanted evidence that Jesus' claim to the, the poor, the blind, the captives, and the oppressed were, were true, all they had to do was trust in him. And there would be ample evidence. Of course, the problem was in their eyes, and probably in most of our eyes today, we don't see ourselves as poor, as needing the Savior, as needing Jesus Christ and his work that was done on the cross. We don't see ourselves as needing that because we have enough. But she saw that. Because we often see ourselves as respectable, good, synagogue, church-attending people, solid, upstanding citizens. But Jesus goes on to add insult to insult by saying, let me tell you another story about Naaman. Naaman was a, uh, a commander of an army from Syria, from a foreign country, who had leprosy. And he heard from a servant girl that uh, if he would just go to the prophet in Israel, he would be healed. And as a commander, he had all the money. He had the pomp circumstance. He probably came in a caravan of, of people, you know, horses and all these attendants. And he came to the king. And the king goes, whoa, he is coming. He is picking a fight. Because he wants to be healed of leprosy. There is no way I can heal leprosy. But Elijah said, send him to me. And Elijah, from a distance, not even face to face, sent out a servant and said, you tell Naaman. All he has to do is wash in the Jordan River seven times. Dip himself in the water, the muddy Jordan, seven times. And he'll be clean. And Naaman immediately goes, are you crazy? There are cleaner rivers in Syria. Why would I even dip myself in this muddy river? That's filthy. That's for animals. It's for pigs. No way. That's not for me. But he was convinced by his servants that, listen, if, if he would have asked you to do a greater thing, a grander thing, a huge thing, would you not have done it? Yes. So why not do this simple thing of believing his word? And washing seven times in the Jordan River. And do you know what he did? He washed. And he was clean. The citizens of Nazareth heard enough. They'd been told that they were poor and blind and captive and oppressed. But now they were told that they were less spiritual and and less than this Gentile, both Naaman and the widow. That was way too much. And they reacted, and they wanted to get Jesus out. Jesus cut through their comfortable religious facade, as he does today. He cuts through our facade and says, I have come for you. I have come to set you free. Will you trust in me? Will you place your hope in me? All your hopes. Will you place all your trust, all your faith 
in me. Even though it looks absolutely insane and countercultural, will you trust in me? Luke, the theologian, placed this story at the very beginning of this biography about the Messiah to show his intended audience, Theophilus, and all future readers, which includes us, what the gospel is and to whom it comes and all the kinds of reception that it receives. Sometimes it is a warm reception where the people gladly receive it. And other times, when it, especially when it comes to religious, it is turned away. It's like winter. So I want you to hear. I want you to hear again the gospel from Jesus' lips. This is the good news. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. That's you. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's you. And recovering the sight to the blind. That's you. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's you. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But also hear the warning. That there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Not yet one was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. Naaman was saved because he was a leper. And there was no hope for him apart from God's grace. And he trusted God. Same with the widow. There was no hope for her. It was her last meal. The only way that she could survive was trusting in God's grace. His free gift. And she survived. There are many lepers in our church today. Many starving widows. They just don't know that they are spiritually poor, spiritually captive, spiritually blind, or spiritually oppressed. Upright, righteous, family-focused, we become furious at the thought that we need God's grace. Still today. Our enviable heritages and our fine church traditions seem to insulate us from our true spiritual poverty. In fact, many churches cast Jesus out. What we need most is His mercy and grace. Monsieur Day Church, what we need the most is this. To trust fully in the one who has set us free.
trusting again today that the good news is for us today, not just at the moment of our salvation, recognizing his free gift of grace, but it's for us today. So whatever area of bondage or spiritual blindness or captivity or oppression that you are experiencing today, I don't care what it is. And maybe you need to just picture that right now. Come up with a word and put it in the top of your mind right now. Whatever it is, man, woman, whoever you are, come up with it. What is that area that you, you need freedom from? Jesus has come to set you free today. Lust, pride, alcohol, greed, apathy, gossip, sensuality, Fill in your own blank. Personal inadequacy. Jesus has come to set you free today. He is calling us to respond to him. Like the widow, like Naaman. Responding in obedience and then in worship. Will you respond? Let us pray.